Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics here with Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder. And we are coming to you from beautiful downtown Cedarhurst, New York, at the home of Central Perk, 105 Cedarhurst Avenue. How's that for product placement? The coffee is fantastic, although I'm not sure I I knew there was an uptown Cedarhurst. Yeah, well, uptown, downtown. It's uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, this was not along the inaugural parade route. And so here we're here on the Malcolm Siegel Network and around the world on our route, Sheva, Israel National News slash radio, and another Thursday morning of uh, political talk. And we are post-inauguration. As I mentioned last week, we have, have a 45th president of the United States. And we have had, I think, in, in my mind since last Friday, kind of a week of, of great entertainment. I, if he, if he, uh, Donald Trump, the entertainer, continues to entertain. Uh, I have hopes that he will grow into the presidency. And uh, I've, you know, every day we wonder whether that is the day that that is going to happen. So much has happened in this past week just with Trump. We could fill the whole half hour just talking about it. But, Phil, what are your Trump highlights right now? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny as I sit here and we're we're, we're talking about uh, preparing for this show and just I, two guys having coffee. Two guys having coffee here at Central Park in Cedarhurst. Uh, as we prepare for this show, it seems like it's been months and months. You know, the inauguration was literally just a week ago, less than a week ago, six days ago, and it feels like the amount of stories that have been produced and the amount of and I say that very carefully. The amount of stories, the amount of stories that have been produced. Um, over the last week are mind-boggling. Um, again, sort of just sort of confirmations, executive orders. Uh, we have to have set some sort of new record for first-week executive orders. But the, the funny thing is people are not talking about the executive orders. What we're talking about is these distractions. And, and whether the distractions are by design or not, they, they, they are in fact taking people away from a rather conservative agenda, uh, something that's probably making a lot of conservatives pretty happy, aside from the trade stuff and coming out of TPP. And we can, I think that overall, that's a precipitous uh, decision, but certainly one that was not unexpected. But the things like the crowd size and the voter fraud and going to the CIA and, you know, giving a campaign speech and, you know, various things, uh, the transition from candidate to president-elect to president, we seem to kind of be along this continuum of, okay, when is it going to happen? When are we going to flip the switch and we have a new Donald Trump? You know, uh, as a former assemblyman, now I'm proud to, to work at Yeshiva University doing government affairs. I can tell you that... Oh, yeah, we got to throw that plug in there as well. So I don't know what you're a, talking about. I think it's important that our listeners know uh, where. Absolutely, where, vice, vice president for government relations at Yeshiva University. Um, I think it's it, it's you know as elected officials, there are so many things that come at you that you can't control, right? There are so many negative stories, innuendos. You know, somebody has some thought that they want to put that put out there that comes at you that you can't literally can't control, and so you know as elected officials, you have to defend and you have to try to put the positive story uh, to counterbalance that. However, we're seeing a president that literally can't get out of his own way. He's manufacturing his own bad news. Think about that. Manufacturing his own bad press. Unless, it's, unless there's a strategic nature of it. Although, I have to say, I mean, having watched the cringeworthy, cringeworthy performance of Sean Spicer on that first Saturday. I, I couldn't watch, it could, Michael. I could not watch it. And then comes back and says, I don't want to lie to you. Or I'm not planning to lie to you, or I won't lie to you in the future. Implication there being that I have lied to you in the past. <laughs> it, you know, 
this goes to what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, that, that this administration is about uh, self-aggrandizement, his own ego, and Donald Trump needs to be able to say that his event, his ideas are the biggest, are the greatest, are the best, even when it is clearly not true. It's not a complicated, you know, put some effort when you're lying to the American people, right? Like, let's, well, make, let's it, make it somewhat believable. This was not believable. Right. It's it's why lie about things that can be easily disproven. I think that, that I think that's the question. And there's nothing wrong with not having the biggest or greatest inauguration ever. It, it, it's not a bad, first of all, it was raining. Okay. I mean, I've been to the inauguration when it's been freezing and I have to tell you, and people ask me, are you going? And I'm like, it's miserable. I, the whole idea of sitting outside for three hours in January in DC, if you want to make an inauguration that people are going to want to do too, you, you make it in South Florida or San Diego. <laughs> the Super Bowl does, right? Exactly. And, you know, I, it's interesting. And that doesn't take into account, you know, a traveling, if you're coming from New York, you're traveling three and a half, four and a half hours. You're, you're leaving at, at ungodly hours of the morning to get there and then just to stand out in the cold waiting for the festivities to start. And when they start, the rain, the rain starts coming down on you. It's not... You're there to witness history. There's no question about it. But it is, you know, it takes a certain amount of commitment. To, but let's to talk attend. about. It. Let's say, as Americans, and and I want to just say, you know, there is something to be proud of as an American, no matter who the president is, whether it's uh, Democrat or Republican. We should all be proud of the fact that we have a smooth and voluntary transition of power between the presidency, the administration, one administration passes the baton to the next administration, and, and we move on, and, we, and the republic endures. And the republic is more important than any one person. The republic is more important than any one president. It's more important than any one legacy. And it's, I think that's important. I think it's important to recognize the historic nature of it. And as much as we w- might want to knock uh, the new president, we can also appreciate the fact that we have endured another peaceful transition of power, something that many countries cannot boast of. That's absolutely that's absolutely correct, and and I agree with that. And I and I I think we touched on this last week. I think it was important um, for members of Congress for people to go look. This was yes. still This was history. Right? The fact that sixty Democrats. It, it was a little. I don't want to say it's. I look for all the reasons, but I, it was unfortunate. As much as I'd like to, you know, I, I know that you're a Dem- you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat, and we're supposed to be fighting. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I I think. I'm ashamed of... Eventually, of, we'll find something to fight I, about. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm ashamed of, of people who didn't go to somehow think they're sending a message. A, a message that what? America doesn't work. America is, is broken. That, that, that America can't find a way to get along. And, and even when you're dealing with somebody like President Trump, uh, even when you're dealing with somebody who is inflammatory and, and sometimes hateful in, in, in his rhetoric, I think it's important you know, as, as a symbol to, to the world that... that we find a way to to come together in a transition um in it sort of a as we pass the torch on to the to the next president i think it was important and i'm i'm ashamed of a lot of my colleagues who didn't show up okay this is spin class and we're talking politics here from central perk in cedarhurst new york uh having the just a little coffee clutch between democrat and republican here and what, what, one thing i learned this week is the idea that there is such a thing as alternate facts <laughs> I, I was not aware that there was such a concept and I, I did learn that this week that there was alternate now I'm not sure exactly I think Chuck Todd was, was in effect stunned on air which is which is not so easy to do to stun any host of a show because you're supposed to be able to improv there I, and, and he had a good and he had a good comeback and says alternative facts are just falsehoods <laughs> um, but it's it's laughable in a however it's only laughable in a sense that we actually see 
the idea that the alternative facts are taking hold with this idea of voter fraud now, which is now being thrown out there and pushed on a governmental basis. Did you, you know, if there, if it was the New York Times who actually tried to dig in a little bit about where this voter fraud idea comes from. It was literally, you know, uh, in passing a, a sort of a story that was shared with the president, you know, that he then uh, made that, that it was fact. Essentially, he took this one little tidbit of information and, and determined that that was factual and that that was something he was going to go after. And it's actually a piece of information that couldn't possibly be true. This well, involves the golf, German golfer Bernard Langer, who was supposedly online to vote in Orlando, I guess, you know, where he, where he, he lives and a lot of golfers do live in the Orlando area and he was online to vote and they were letting all these other people vote and they weren't letting him now of course they he interviewed is, his daughter he is not a he citizen he is not a citizen he has a permanent US residence or temporary status or whatever. He, he, he's a German national he's actually not allowed to vote <laughs> right. um, nor, nor apparently did he try according to his family uh, it, it is, but but here's the thing, and I. But, but this is how we're making policy. And I read another interesting article yesterday about how Sean Spicer admitted during a press conference how he looked at his Twitter feed and reviewed his Twitter feed over the weekend and was making comments to reporters about things that were happening on Twitter, which starts to make you wonder: Is that where our policy is coming from? Is that where public opinion is being formed? Over Twitter, right? Is Sean Spicer preparing for his press conferences by looking at what reporters said about him on Twitter? This is a very scary thought because this is, you know, we're talking about public policy at the highest levels being determined by the rantings of of every man. Well, well, he is the every man, and that's no <laughs> no question. And that uh, I think uh, our president has tried to be the every man in many cases, and he's giving voice to the people who. A lot. Of, he's giving voice to a lot of theories that would never have seen to the, the light anonymous. of day. He's that, giving that, voice that, to that the would, anonymous. That would never see the light. Of day. But I. But just to come back to Sean Spicer and this whole thing again. Um, you know his subsequent press conferences, and now they've actually become a, a daily ritual for those who follow politics. That you have to watch the White House press briefing every day. Yeah. Uh, it's. Michael, it, let me, I want to stop you. Do you please. remember? You know, in the history since since I'm involved in politics and government, and since I've been interested for the last you know thirty years, right? I've always found it important that you know. You watch the debates. You follow the you know follow the campaigns. Understand what was going on. Have you ever seen during a campaign season where people were so excited to watch the presidential debates? That's right? exactly now. Have you ever watched? You know how many of, how many of our listeners have ever taken the opportunity to watch presidential uh, press conferences or daily press briefings? Um, now I'm sure that people are tuning in just for the sheer entertainment value. But is that what they're going for? Well, right? he, this president knows how to control the crowd he knows how to control the identity he knows how to control the media and if you want to call the media suckers you want to call whatever it is you want to whatever adjective you want to call for the, the the result here is that the man dominates the news cycle consistently whether it's for good or for bad but he crowds out everything else he crowds out all the other noise and we've seen it and we saw it you know at first in the republican primary where he took all the air from everybody else, that none of the candidates had any oxygen left, and he took it all, and then he did the same thing and dominated the agenda with Hillary Clinton as well. Um, I many times, for good or for bad, many times it wasn't particularly productive, but he still captured a lot, and he's and he's doing it again in in many cases. I mean, people are just tuned, and they can't wait to see what's next. You know. What we've seen this week, and, and of course, you know, we've seen executive order executive uh, after executive order on, on various different things, whether they're actually going to happen, whether they're not going to happen, whether they're going to be fought in court, you know, whether states are going to push back on certain things. 
the question is, we haven't really seen the true test of, of President Trump's ability to actually work with Congress to get things done. You know, we've seen that, that Paul Ryan is, is trying to explain to the American people, number one, what Obamacare is going to be replaced with. I mean, we've heard about, you know, repeal and replace, but we actually haven't seen the replacement yet, number one. And number two is, you know, Paul Ryan hemming and hawing over how the funding for the wall, the, the Trump wall uh, with Mexico is, is actually going to get paid for. And so, you know... Well, Trump's it, hemming and hawing about that too, so... Well, but uh, that's, you know... Was there any hemming and hawing during the campaign? Uh, was there any hemming and hawing from, from Donald Trump? When no, but we're going to build a wall in Mexico. Is it going to pay for it? You ready? You ready? Believe me. Oh. And now, clearly, we can't believe him because it's not happening. Well, right? The American who, people are going to be paying for it. Who's going to pay for the wall? Billions and billions the American of dollars. People. And so instead of paying for schools, instead of paying for... For, for education or for healthcare, for any other thing that, or for infrastructure, quite frankly, we're going to pay to build this wall. Now, I'm a Democrat that is for border security. There is no question that we need to do more, but there needs to be a plan. You don't just spend tens of billions of dollars to build a wall. And quite frankly, Congress right now doesn't know how to pay for it. And this idea that Mexico, I don't know, you know, just yesterday, the Mexican president who, interestingly enough, is scheduled to come visit us yes. next week. I don't know if that's still going to happen. There's but a lot of pressure in Mexico right now to cancel that visit. He has basically said, we will not pay for the wall. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that um, this is something that I hope that, that Donald Trump is thinking about how he's going to make good on these promises. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is, these are things that are going to have to work through Congress. As, as he has learned, I hope by now, through the confirmation process, he doesn't. He may have the will of the presidency. He does not have the will of, of the legislature. And, and Senate Democrats, House Democrats, you know, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi are going to find ways to, 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 to get in his way and stand up for, for the left of this country. I always thought Chuck Schumer was a centrist, but let's. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, two two things actually. I want to I want to pick up on that point for a second. But I, I actually want one good quote. I thought it was actually one of the best quotes. I think regarding. This whole thing is from Newt Gingrich, who was known to be very close to Trump and absolutely was, you know, has was a candidate for a very high uh, positions in the administration. Not sure exactly why he was in, not out, whatever, but certainly a, a thoughtful figure, former Speaker of the House. But he said with regard to the inauguration and the aftermath, and I think it's, a, it's instructive, ultimately this is about governing. There are two things he's got to do between now and 2020. He has to keep America safe and create a lot of jobs. That's what he promised in the speech. If he does those two things, everything else is noise. And I have to say, if you can deliver on those things, and he can actually deliver jobs in the places where he... where Remember, the unemployment rate is remarkably low right now. It's half of what it was when Obama came into office. But if Trump is going to deliver jobs in the places that voted for him strongly, then he's going to be successful. Despite all the other nonsense, despite all the other noise, I think Newt is correct. If he can deliver on some of the promises that he wants to do, then he is going to have success as a president. Yeah, and I think the Wall Street Journal picked up on that this week by saying that the president has this uncanny ability to distract with, with the showmanship while he's quietly doing certain other things. Now, I, I look... I want to see this president We haven't succeed. seen the delivery yet. No, right. but, no, we all want to see him succeed. There's look, no question about that. I, I, I'm a Democrat, but I'm an American first, and I want to see him succeed. I do, and I want everybody to know that, that I want him to succeed. Um, I don't, I'm not thinking about 2020, which I want to talk about in a moment, because every politician who gets up and says something, all of a sudden it's like, ooh, 2020, are they looking at 2020? You know, look how this one voted on that, 2020, whether it's uh, New York State here with the governor or, or every member of Congress who apparently is running for, for president in 2020. But I want to see this president succeed. As an American, I, I think that 
you know, there's no greater um, there, there's no greater achievement than a president that is able to deliver on his promises and, and make America strong and, and even stronger than it is today. And so I want to see this uh, this president succeed. But in, in, in just six long days, um, I have not been you know, sort of given any indication that that's going to happen. But look, it's, it's way too soon to tell. Um, but I'm I'm still you know not holding my breath that at any point that this is going to turn into the a presidential term like we've seen in the past. Well, he is actually we we were discussing whether he was going to get his picks through and he whether he was going to get his nominations through, and you know Schumer and the Democrats had been you know trying had been you know creating some obstacles in order to get some. Uh, perhaps stymie one or two of the nominations right now it doesn't look like any of them are actually going to be blocked it looks like most uh, almost every of the cabinet picks is actually going to get going to get through yeah i look the, however i think everybody and everybody including the president is is just a bit damaged in sort of the way this process has walked out walk has gone through right it's I think President Trump was under this idea that come election day, come inauguration day, that, that all his picks would be confirmed and, and the Senate and, and... Well, that's, pre- that's pretty fast. I mean, that would be historically... Well, look, you know, take a look at historically, right? You know, in, in, in 2008, uh, Mitch McConnell, the minority leader, actually wrote a letter to, to, to majority leader saying, you know, we need to take be more deliberate. We need to, to, to take our time and, and do this the right way. And, and Minority Leader Schumer actually took that exact same letter, crossed off the names, and <laughs> sent it back. Um, and so I, I think, you know, Mitch McConnell and, and when the Republicans were a minority proved that you've got to find a way to work together with legislative leaders on both sides of the aisle. And I will say this, and, and credit to President Trump, because he has been inclusive in terms of he's had uh, meetings at the White House with both parties. He's had meetings with leadership from both sides to, to have those conversations. Sadly, Nothing seems to last more than more than the president's attention span. You know, you'll hear him, you know, talking great things. And for example, he'll say great things about Chuck Schumer, how he thinks he can work with him. And then three days later, he's calling him the the head clown, right? And then on inauguration day, they're talking and they're they're friends again, and, and they're presenting each other with mm. gifts. And Schumer got booed at the inauguration. That 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 was upsetting. Disgraceful, absolutely D- disgraceful. disgraceful. Um, you know, look, we this is a, a country that. Both sides have to come together, and, and um, it's, it's very disappointing. Look, it, it all starts at the top. Donald Trump sets the tone. Uh, President Trump sets the tone, and, and he has got to sort of, I think, at some point show some form of consistency if he's going to find a way to work, work to, 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 to make Newt right, to, to make uh, the former speaker right, and actually delivering on those things that are so important to the American people. Well, a couple of things that he's done so far, I think, have been, uh, you know, with the with the Keystone Pipeline and the Dakota Pipeline. I mean, he has taken some actions that have pretty significant ramifications. He's, fr- you know, frozen some executive action. He has uh, he has gone ahead and well, he has said he's going to cut regulation. I don't know how he's going to do it by seventy five percent. That will be interesting. But there are things that he is moving quick. He is moving very quickly in a pretty conservative direction. And the big fight, I think the the, the big battle that you're going to see very quickly is when this week, or actually I should say next week, uh, he is going to unveil his nominee or his pick for the Supreme Court. And that is going to put... a. That is, and that actually needs a vote of sixty, I believe. I, I heard he's actually going to be giving it live on the air with us next Thursday. Oh, that would be exciting. That's what I've heard. I know yeah. that that our producers are working on on that announcement and finalizing details. But you know, you Mary, know, are you listening? <laughs> going back to going back to you know, sort of you know, cutting government bureaucracy and government waste. I mean, 
is Governor Perry going to eliminate his own job, right, at, at the agency that, that, that he thought he was going to eliminate, you know, a couple of years back? I mean, it's just, we've all seen a lot of talk. And I think Speaker Gingrich is going to be right if we stop talking and actually find ways to get it done. The president's going to learn real soon that, that his executive orders are not going to be enough to actually move us forward. He's going to actually, he's going to have to find ways to, to work together with, uh, with Congress and, and with other people. And it's too soon to tell. I, I know that we're going to have a lot to talk about over the next four I years. I can't imagine though, him not coming in with the Supreme court pick who is very conservative. He, he just has to, because that was a big selling point among conservatives, amongst evangelicals, amongst Republicans to kind of say that here is a stark choice. If you don't, even if you don't like me, even if you don't agree and you don't think I'm a conservative, I am going to shape the Supreme Court. And I think actually that was one of his strongest arguments during the campaign. You know, for, for all the people, I've heard it a lot this week, you know, and, and as a former staffer for Senator Schumer, uh, now, of course, working at Yeshiva University, I've heard a lot. Well, you know, someone has to tell the Senate Democrats to stop, stop being obstructionist stop standing in the way let's take a look at at the supreme court nomination that was chosen a year ago a year ago right um that literally the senate republicans stood in the way and refused to do their job and hold those hearings they you know that was their job and there was they no political price to be paid for it and strangely enough it's sad it's very very sad and and again you know i i'm i have to say that's actually one of the puzzling aspects of the election of this past election that that was not more of an issue because i will tell you um you know if you take things like the government shutdown if you look take things like gridlock and dysfunction the party that actually is is doing them usually suffers a price at the bow, at the at the polls and that actually didn't happen. I think part of that was Donald Trump he kind of overshadowed it as the outsider and then the Republicans got this mantle of the outsider even though they were doing it. I I will say I thought it was a political loser on the for for the party uh, but it ended up being okay and ended up not hurting them. You know, Michael, can I, let me ask you. I mean, is there, you know, and whether it's MSNBC or Fox News or CNN, when you turn on these shows and you see the talking heads and you see eight people sitting behind a desk theorizing about why something is happening or why it's not happening. Do you ever like, do you think at this point they don't know what they're talking about? <laughs> I mean, you know, you talk about like, how come, how come the American, like you're, to your exact point, like, you know, you would think this would have played in more. You, you think that, that this should have happened or that should have happened. I'm so sick and tired of people telling me what should have happened. We are in a world of politics that is absolutely unpredictable. Okay. Unpredictable. <laughs> okay, well, we have a couple items to talk about. Number one, I actually wanted to discuss for two seconds the, and this is spin class here from Central Perk in downtown Cedarhurst, New York. Uh, and we are talking politics here with Gold, Phil Goldfeder from Yeshiva University. And I wanted to just, let's just talk about voter fraud for a second because the, the, People don't look at it. I mean, this huge claim of three to five million people voting. And, of course, the president doesn't say where they voted. And he doesn't say. But if you call into for number one, he's calling into question his own election. Number two is you're also calling into question potentially all the down ballot elections, which is strange enough. Now, I've been involved in elections and races for a long time. And, um, you know, I, and even in urban areas where there are places where not everybody knows each other. And it's possible that there are, you know, issues that come up. Uh, I never, the scale that he's talking about is just beyond anything that I am at all familiar with. And, you know, when he talks about the fact that there is a, that you might have people registered in two states, well, 
His Steve Bannon is registered in two states. Half Steve Mnuchin is, is registered in two states. His own daughter, Tiffany Trump, is registered in two states. And the way that happens is quite simple. They don't share information. You go to register the, in a new place, and they don't take you off the rolls unless you're inactive for about four years, generally. I think that's a, you know, it's like a full general election cycle that they, that they don't have. So anyway... That's, you know, that the, the voter fraud thing is, is actually, really does actually undermine our democracy. There are a lot of places where actual voter fraud could have an impact on the, over, on the outcome of the election. It certainly didn't end the presidential election. I don't think Trump is suggesting that because <laughs> <laughs> how could he? You know, it, it's interesting. And I, I think this is something that, that President Trump has to learn, right? There's a, there's a fundamental difference of the things he's tweeted and things he said the day before he was president and the things he says the day after he was president, right? He could say the exact same thing that have two fundamentally different meanings. Yeah, but he's calling for investigation now. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I hate to say there's almost a part of me that like, you know, it's, it You're is like, go ahead, investigate, yeah, investigate. Let's see, like if they're, let, let's see what's going on but but there is absolutely i would have liked i'd feel better if there was some report if there was some valid reason why we think there was voter fraud but it doesn't seem to me like that exists in in any form it's coming from something you know that was. it's coming from a discreet well a, a story a report that the authors themselves actually uh, uh walked back but let me just but let me also say at the same time donald trump's own lawyers Debunk this in their filing in their with recount filings in Michigan when the Jill Stein recount they went ahead and said there was no fraud. So it's and Michigan was actually I think believe the closest state was ten thousand votes. It was the like probably the last one to be called. So it really 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 surprising on that front. And by the way, if I re, if I recall correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that the Donald Trump was was opposed to that recount and spoke spoke out against the recount. And if sore losers are, are, are some of the terms right. I've heard, and so you start to wonder that. Is he now agreeing with 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 that movement? And well, and the moving idea? target might help him a little bit, but uh, but I, as I said, I just you know the implications are it's not simple. I mean, there are people out there who believe and say, okay, voter fraud, and then they say, well, okay, it, obviously it must happen all over the place; it must be rampant. But when you think, it, but it, it's actually a crazy claim to make when you think about there are many elections that are a lot closer than the presidential election, and I don't know why it wounds him so much to have lost the popular vote. Okay, so what? You know, George W. Bush was president for eight years, having lost the popular vote in 2000. So as uh, as we, you know, we're quickly running down on our allotment uh, this week, but uh, we're going to, you know, very quickly, I want to cover a couple more uh, a couple more things. Um, you know, let's switch over to some local thing. The governor unveiled his budget, meaning Governor Cuomo here in New York. Um, uh, Chris Christie had his state of the state in New Jersey. Uh, the governor of Minnesota fainted at the podium during his state of the state. Uh, and, uh, it, it, you know, there's, there's always things going around all around the country right now. But uh, one noteworthy item is for the Jewish community is that Governor Cuomo did not include the education investment tax credit in his budget. He has now seemed to have walked back uh, the his support for a very important thing for the Orthodox community and non-public schools here in New York. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think the there's no question that a lot of people were disappointed that the education investment tax credit was not in this budget. You know, it's been a... I give the governor credit over the last few years, even when it wasn't, you know, maybe the politically the best uh, decision to make, he actually came out and stood for it. I think the governor not including it in his budget is signaling to the world that it may actually be dead. It may be uh, sort of just no more life left in the education investment tax credit. But I will say this is that regardless of the tax credit or not, I know that the New York State has provided historic dollars to, to non-public schools over the last four years. And so 
you know, while this is sort of the end of hope for the, the tax credit, I think this may be an opportunity for advocates to, to jump up and say, we're not getting the tax credit, but we need to sort of benefit in, in these two, three, four other areas. So we have to be, as, as, as a community, as advocates, we have to be as strategic now in how we use this information. Do you now. see this as a reaction to Betsy DeVos and potentially the, the fact that Washington is now have might have a pro-school choice and you know, Cuomo feels like he has to take the other side? He can't be looking at his pro-tax credit or pro-voucher, you know, because he's got to oppose Cuomo. I mean, he's got to oppose Trump. Um, wow, that's an interesting point. No, I don't. I don't. Okay. I think this is the political realities of New York State. I, if that were the case, I'd actually be disappointed. Um, <laughs> I, the next time I see the governor, and I, I think I'll see him in the next couple of days, uh, I'll have to ask. You'll have I, to ask. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's the case. But I, I think, look, I think it's the political realities of where we are in New York State and trying to... to be pragmatic about what we can actually accomplish. Okay, speaking of walking back, one thing that's going on right now is uh, the apparent walking back of the move of the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And, you know, everybody was expecting, or at least the, the, certainly here in these parts, in beautiful downtown Cedarhurst, uh, was expecting home an of, imminent... Home of our newest ambassador. Yes. Uh, well, he might be a wooden mirror, but uh, he has pledged that he is going to live in, he's going to live in Jerusalem. Uh, so, de facto, the embassy will, in fact, is where the actually the ambassador lives, uh, not actually where the office is. Uh, but he has said he is going to live there. But, you know, immediately they said, oh, we're studying it. We're, we're looking at it. This is, I've heard this, I've heard this song before. In the past, you know, presidents come in, they promise, and then they don't do it. Now, I don't think the embassy, personally, from my point of view, is the biggest deal. But uh, a moving it is the biggest deal. But that seems to be, they seem to be walking it back already. Well, look, it, it, I, I agree with you. I don't think it was the biggest deal. I think it was something they could have slowly moved into. But look, this is, goes back to what we started the show on, is that this president is creating problems for himself as opposed to waiting for other problems to come to him. He's creating his own problems. He didn't have to be as aggressive in his in his rhetoric. I think that, that people would have understood that it, this is something that's going to take time, much like any of his policies. people, American people understand that this is a process that's going to take time. You don't have to do everything in five minutes. And to make these promises and these, these grand um, gestures that we're going to uh, make these huge changes and then all of a sudden realize the realities of what that will actually cause – and they start to walk it back. I think this is the beginning of a lot of backwards walking from this administration. Okay, well, then, lightning round question. Is Mexico going to pay for the wall? No, they will not. Okay, that's another another issue. And, you know, that's the thing when you go out there. The last point I want to make as we run out of time here is the Rockland County Republican Party. Uh, and this is my party, and it's embarrassing, and it's shameful, and it's offensive, ignorant. I can't even think of the words put out a about the women's march in Washington said that how can the Democrats support a march in Washington when the women, the Hasidic women or the ultra Orthodox women here in Rockland County are oppressed and started talking about all kinds of nonsense and the way they're oppressed and forced marriages. And I mean, all kinds of things that actually aren't even under true under Jewish law. It is so shocking that in 2017, that a major political party would be as blatantly anti well, I don't want to say anti-Semitic, but essentially that is. I mean, I don't believe there is a big distinction between anti-Hasidic and anti-Semitic. Uh, no, I think as a perfect end to the show, as you, the Republican, and me, the Democrat, there is no party that is immune to stupidity um, and the actions of, of ignorant people. And I think, uh, I think the county chair, uh, Lawrence Garvey, should be, take, should be called to task by the party on that. I think the county executive, Ed Day, who has a history of anti-Orthodox rhetoric over since he's been in office, who's running for re-election this year, this could be the opening salvo for him. Uh, it's upsetting, it's shameful, it's repugnant, and we're going to end the show with that. This is Spin Class. Thanks for another week. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks. 
here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And thank you to Central Perk for hosting us this morning.